I think sometimes when things don't go our way or when things seem to be creating resistance, it's often an opportunity for redirection and to take mm-hmm. another action. And it's been brilliant to have Biz on side the last couple of years. We've reached out to him and had him as an advisor and he's been a friend of the company in addition to being an investor in the business. So I think something that might feel like it's a failure in that moment, actually, like when you look back at it later, it's usually not. It's usually actually it worked out the way it was supposed to and maybe it was just a redirection. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I frame failure. And I think really how quickly and creatively and enthusiastically you respond is really what makes you successful in life. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future program, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Leila Yajani is Chief Operating Officer of Littlebridge, a company focused on allowing millions of children around the world to learn to read, write, listen and speak English through a social, immersive, games-based community. Prior to Littlebridge, Leila spent five and a half years in consulting, during which, as an advisor to UNICEF, she founded the NextGen London network of young professionals supporting UNICEF's work in Europe, also advising on refugee integration and entrepreneurial projects. A graduate of the University of Texas with vast and diverse international experience, having lived in the UK, Iran, Spain and several major US cities, Leila's philanthropic journey started when she was just 14 in founding Club Hope, standing for helping out people everywhere. Winner of the Women of the Future Award in the Technology and Digital category in 2020, Layla believes education is an enabler to the pursuit of happiness and has a huge passion for improving the lives of children through education and sustainable development. I grew up in a few different places. My family is originally Iranian, so I was born in Los Angeles and we then moved back to the Middle East when I was around five. And we then moved back to the States and I did my secondary and all the way up through university actually in Texas. So sort of between Tehran, Los Angeles, Houston and Austin. Sounds amazing. When I was looking into you, as I do for these podcasts, I came across a couple of your TED Talks that you've done. And obviously in the first one, A New Model for Giving, you spoke very fondly of how your mum approaches life and as much as you'd had your differences as you were growing up she would say to you here's a challenge here's an opportunity and there's nothing that's going to stop you from getting to the other side of it which sounds like a really refreshing approach to life and a phenomenal trait almost to pass on to children within your formative years how did that help shape you yeah she just kind of got on with things yeah I think My brother and I were both entrepreneurs and we both sort of share this quality of 
if we sense that something needs to be done, we just do it. And for me, that has manifested in a number of different projects that even today I could point to things that maybe I wouldn't have done if I didn't have that quality, but it's definitely something that I valued. And I just watched her in so many scenarios where other people might have done the polite thing and gone on living with their life, like go the extra mile. So I remember we were in the park one afternoon and there was a young boy our age who the end of the day wasn't leaving and it was getting dark and it turned out he'd run away from home and my mom did what she could to get him out of the park and back at home and so a lot of people may have just you know scurried their own children along and took them home but I just watched her doing things and she still does and you know I just kind of watched her incredible generosity and just kindness and it didn't always come from this desire to do just something. It came from, oh, there's something going on here and there's something I can do about it. And I'm going to get through that and get to the other side of this challenge. So it was a much more natural way of just looking at the world and sort of doing your best in every situation and scenario. And you spoke again in another one of your TEDx talks, The Millennial Dilemma, about how you and your brother were out walking the family dog and he got away from you and you stumbled across disabled men that had been the victims of the (laughs) Iran and Iraq war. And the philanthropic side of your family's nature then led you into your own ways of trying to establish what you wanted to do and what was meaningful for you. And when you were 14, you started Club Hope, which, oh my God. which is helping out people everywhere. Oh it sounds God. amazing. And I don't my know friends how. who listen to this are going to just have a field day because uh, <laughs> you're coming out now. But you go on then to talk about how life just got away from you, it sounded. You moved to New York, as you described, and you got on the old hamster wheel and you described the feeling as almost feeling nauseated because it was so hectic and it was almost too yeah. much. And I suppose what the affinity here would be, it's like burnout, right? And you had to then wind back and think, what do I want from life? What is meaningful to me? What is making me happy? So what happened to you in that moment and where did you go from there? So, I mean, I think this is a question that I come back to a lot because I think it's, it's something that I've revisited even during the pandemic, but rewinding to that point in time, I, I decided when I was living in New York that I wanted to get back involved in a material way. I was mentoring someone during that busy time, but I wanted to do something meaningful. And I reached out to UNICEF in New York and had a couple of friends doing some really impressive work with UNICEF. And wanted to get involved and see if there was a project or a program I could support. And shortly after that, found out that Accenture was offering me a role in the London office and was moving over. And there was no way for my generation to sort of fundraise or consult UNICEF here. And so I set up this organization called NextGen London. And basically NextGen in the UK would follow a model of creative projects, collaborations, supper clubs, and pro bono consulting to support UNICEF's work and answer any strategic questions they had, fundraise for their key programs, and really give them an opportunity to meet their future donors and meet potentially very creative entrepreneurs who could create projects for UNICEF. And so we started that in London eight years ago, and I spearheaded it. And 
I've raised over like 5 million pounds now. And it's been probably one of the things that's kept me feeling very fulfilled, especially during my days in consulting and before transitioning to startup world and building Little Bridge, I didn't really feel that I was doing enough philanthropically. And so at that time, this whole world of impact and profit had not converged. I mean, now you're seeing so many companies that are really focused on bringing that into their daily practices and where, you know, it's not just about making a profit. It's also about having a positive purpose in the world. But I don't know, eight, nine years ago, that wasn't really a done thing as it is today. So that's sort of where that journey took me. And I think it's interesting because my work with UNICEF then really inspired me to reshift my focus to education and to sectors that are really, I think, absolutely fundamental and need transformation and where there are underserved people, underserved markets, there are insufficient innovative solutions. And so it's really wonderful that my own curiosity and desire to be helpful in the world took me to where I am today. And and that question around what I prioritize is one I revisit often. And I think it's one that many of us considered during the pandemic. And it's very clear for me, the most important things are the purpose I'm having in the world, making sure that that purpose is profitable and financially also makes sense where it relates to work. But outside of that, philanthropy and my personal relationships. And when you have a lot going on, I think it's always a question of just filtering things through and knowing what to prioritize and knowing what balls to drop. And it's kind of a always learning experience. So I don't think I have it figured out just yet, but I definitely know what the North Star is. And so Mm -hmm. that always helps me to say, okay, no, those are things that I shouldn't do. And that is something that I should do, you know. And do you think when it comes to the educative process, it is about making conscious decisions? Or is it too much to say that when you're a teenager? Can you decide or determine or can you make productive, pragmatic choices as to where you want to be heading? Is that something that comes with age as you continue on your journey? Or can you be a bit more prescriptive out of what you want to get out of education and where you want to go in life? Or is that too early when you're 14, 15 years old? I think it's early. I mean, when I think back on my own experience, I think hindsight is clear, right? And what I'm doing now makes sense, but I wouldn't have ever thought that this is how I would have ended up spending my time. It's definitely a journey. And I think really what education should provide people is an environment in which to try things. And I was very lucky because I had a very good relationship with my high school principal. And so I'd often lean on her when I had ideas of things I wanted to do. And she's very, very educated. Also a very conscious, very thoughtful leader. And she's a friend now, which is so wild. But I remember having that relationship and that mentorship And when I wanted to start Club Hope, I mean, it had not been done before to start a club and raise money. That was the thing that wasn't allowed, actually. And she helped me figure it out. Again, it was that quality of, I really want to do this. How do we get to the other side of this? And she and I worked together to navigate it. And I think having that environment, I think the American system is really great for this because they tell you you can do anything Mm -hmm. in, in most of the schools that you're in. Now, I appreciate that I was probably in a particularly good state school but I did have that support. And, you know, I was in athletics, I was in the orchestra. I really 
had this desire to be fully in life and to fully try everything and not to leave any page or stone unturned. And I think what I say to my my younger cousins and a couple of younger women that I've mentored who are in their earlier 20s is just do everything that you're curious about and put your heart fully in it because you'll try process of elimination, figure out where you're meant to go. And I actually think asking young people at the age of 14, 15, what direction they want to go in, it's a lot of pressure. And I think we put a lot of pressure on young people to have the answers. So I often say it might look like I've figured it out, but I really do not have it figured out. I'm still figuring it out every day, asking myself those questions on a Sunday night of what's my big purpose in life. And it's funny because I am spending my time in a way that I love and I do find my work purposeful and I love the impact that we're making at Little Bridge with the product and my co-founders. But even still, you know, I'm still young. I have a whole career ahead of me. And it's interesting because last time I caught up with Dawn, my high school principal, last time I saw her in person, actually, she had just released a book that had nothing to do with education. So she's an author now as well. And so I just think life can have many projects and your creativity and your gifts can manifest themselves in a lot of different ways if you're open to that. And tell me more about Littlebridge, how it all came about really, what the inspiration was for it and was it a leap of faith from Accenture to Littlebridge or was it a smooth line of development? How did it all come about? Yeah, so I had spent, I don't know, a few years then working with UNICEF and I had worked on two different consulting projects for them, one out in Lebanon in the field and another in Vietnam. One of them was skills development, so developing entrepreneurship skills in young people. And another one actually ended up manifesting as a robotics program. And these trips really solidified that part of the process of empowering the future generation is with the skills, the mindsets, and the qualities that they need to have to be successful. And it's funny because growing up, my father always said to us to focus on cultivating the things that no one and nothing can ever take away from you. And I, off the back of my first field visit with UNICEF and first field project Lebanon was introduced to my now co-founders by another entrepreneur. And they had actually already developed Little Bridge and their expertise is children's development, children's education, and they're sort of the product inventors and authors and had done some really impressive projects and very clearly demonstrated that the product was really making a difference in children's ability to speak, read, write, and listen in English and not just pass exams, but actually effectively start to use the language. And at that time, they were thinking about the different ways to scale it. And so it didn't feel like that much of a leap, to be honest. I mean, I shouldn't say it didn't feel like any level of leap, but there's always a bit of a leap and I don't want to give people unrealistic expectations if they're trying to make a big decision, but it felt like the right thing to do. I was definitely a bit nervous about what the next chapter might bring, but I really believed in them. I believed in our product and I was excited to work on something that would meaningfully change outcomes for children. And I had seen, because I'd been fortunate or unfortunate enough to go with UNICEF into the field to live in parts of the world and travel to parts of the world where you see inequality. And so I knew inherently that addressing this challenge of teaching children English and doing so with the methodology of Little Bridge, which children learn the language through friendship. So 
they learn as a function of what they want to say instead of having to go through this memorization based rote learning that unfortunately most things are still taught in that way. So I was very excited about the product and about the social community and how it was bringing children together from all over the world and they were learning English peer to peer. So it felt like a natural transition for me. And I was really excited about the opportunity to work at the convergence of an exciting commercial opportunity that had a very, very clear and inherent impact in its offering. So that's how Little Breaks came to be. And as part of that process, was there a standout moment or maybe even a person that you would say helped mold or facilitate what you were doing as a level of reassurance? And you've already spoken about being a mentor to other people. Was there anyone who was playing that role for you or was there literally a moment? Yeah. Where, Eureka, we've done it. Here we no, are. It, you know? it was definitely a process. Um, yeah, one person stands out by far and he's actually very involved with Little Bridge now. But I remember when I was leaving Accenture, I called one of the partners who was the first partner I worked for, meaningfully had worked for in New York. And I told him that I was thinking about my next move and moving on to build Little Bridge. And I was, you know, excited about this new venture and taking this big step, but at the same time was quite relaxed about it. And I don't know, there's conflicting emotions that happen when you're making a decision like that, because on one hand, you know, you're ready to move on and another, you're being pulled to the next thing. And then there's like the realities of the fear of something new that's there. And his name is Michael. And Michael was extremely supportive of my transition. And I remember he even said to me, when you guys raise investment, I want to be the first call. And he actually is one of our early angel investors. He's on the board and he's very actively involved in the business and has been there through the full spectrum of the personal and professional journey of transitioning and building a startup and all the lessons that come with it. So yeah, Michael has been a great friend and mentor and advocate. And there have definitely been a few people. He stands out by far, but I've had a few few mentors who definitely helped support me in my commitment and in my commitment to who I, you know, who I aim to be every day. Um, I think that's the important thing is, you know, sometimes we go to relationships where we're most comfortable for support, but actually it's mentorships and the relationships where the individuals know who we're committed to becoming and who we're committed to being, even if we have our bad days or our tough moments, those individuals will remind you of the sort of actions that someone that you aspire to is taking and it will help support you as you grow as a person. And yeah, I'm very grateful to those friendships and mentorships. So yeah, Michael definitely stands out. Sounds like everyone needs a Michael in their life to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Across all the work that you've done, is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? I think across the board, I think what stands out to me is bringing people together to effectively collaborate, to do something that wasn't possible before. So whether that's our funding round at Little Bridge and some of the investors that I've helped bring into the business and the community, the network, the ecosystem that we built around the company, or rather my work with UNICEF before, I think what I'm proud of is... um, you know, or actually rather another friend whose restaurant I advised when he first started building it out in London. It's a friend of mine who's 
relocated here from Syria due to the conflict, very tragic and difficult time for them. And I helped advise him and bring together some great people. And he's now a very successful entrepreneur and back at it. He's rebuilding in London. And I think when I see something, I feel very called to advising, supporting, rolling up my sleeves. I mean, I remember going around and looking at sites with him and becoming a, a restaurateur by night, helping him think through things. And I think what I'm most proud of is that when I see something and I feel a very strong conviction and resonance in it, I will bring the right people together. I will roll my sleeves up and do whatever it takes to make that thing happen and get to the other side of it. So I think whether, you, you know, the work I'm doing at Little Bridge or the things I've done in my magic time to support other friends who are building their businesses or to support UNICEF's work, that quality, I can't help myself. I often say like, oh, I'm not going to take anything else on. And, you know, then a new project pops up at Little Bridge and I'm like, oh, I want to do that. I'll take that on. I'll, I'll be that. <laughs> like, oh, we're doing this new thing here. And sometimes getting ahead of my skis and just trying to do everything. And Again, going back to that question of prioritization, but I think what I'm most proud of is that is just when I see something and I feel the conviction, I take action and bring great people together to collaborate. And I think there's a few examples of that and how it's manifested in Little Bridge and the last funding round we raised and the people that have invested in the company, including Biz Stone, who's one of the Twitter co-founders, including Michael, who I worked for for years. I mean, we have a solid list of angel investors who I helped to bring into the business and same with my work with those other projects I mentioned. It's just doing my best with what I have in my, in my mind and at my fingertips. Just listening to you, you sound hugely tenacious, hardworking, enthusiastic. It almost makes me feel a little bit tired just listening to you. It's also so inspiring. It really is just to hear the genuine enthusiasm that comes across when you talk about things like that. Thank you. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to be able to work on the things that I get to work on. I feel fortunate that I get to spend my time in the way I do. Mm. And being tired, if the people who are close to me will tell you that that's something I'm constantly trying to <laughs> find time for. But they say you can sleep when you're dead, right? I mean, I, uh, yeah. I joke, but yeah, finding the balance is always something that I'm working on because when there's exciting things happening, it's very tempting to just go from one thing to the next. So that's, I should say I'm human too. And I definitely mm-hmm. have my ups and downs of being very balanced and meditating in the morning and practicing my yoga and being very on top of things. And then I'll have a couple of months where I'm like burning myself out. So (laughs) I get better with time at managing those things, but it's a life's learning. I think (laughs) life's work. And how did you first hear about the woman of the future program and how did you get involved with it? Oh gosh, that's lovely. I actually got involved with women of the future because I was nominated for the award program by one young world. And I was a one young world speaker ambassador at the Hague a few years ago and was invited to attend and just had a really great experience with one young world and a member of their team reached out and wanted to nominate me for the awards and I was very humbled and to be honest I wasn't sure I should be put forward for my category (laughs) because I looked at some of the winners from the previous years and just thought "Mm, this might be a stretch Um, (laughs) But it's funny because I guess that's kind of how it always is. You know, you always wonder. 
that's that fear right the nervousness of oh can i do this actually um so yeah i started to learn about it then and then i was put forward for the tech and digital category and shortlisted and so through the interview process i met some of the wonderful judges and i just really love the community the people are so kind and there is a real reverence a real sense of just acknowledgement and humility and generosity and of course i ended up meeting pinky after i became the winner of the award and yeah i just have had only the best experience with everybody so it's been a real pleasure just getting to know everyone and it's kind of a difficult year yeah i've been really grateful it's been a nice ray of light in a year that was very difficult for the world now i just think relatively speaking it was okay working from home and all the rest of it i think it's been a tough year for the world but i think women of the future and one young world both very positive during a time that your social media and news feeds are just filled with negativity it's nice to see that these organizations have managed to keep going and keep empowering people and bringing great people together absolutely i have some quick fire questions for you just to finish so here yeah, we go yeah please go for it here we go <laughs> <laughs> what would you describe as your greatest success I think we spoke about it a bit already, but I think bringing great people together to collaborate and doing what wouldn't otherwise be possible. So whether that's at Little Bridge or in some of those other projects I mentioned, I think I would focus it rather on that quality as opposed to a particular outcome to say, oh, uh, sorry, raise funding for UNICEF or raising investment for Little Bridge. I would say it's bigger than that. And it's that quality of bringing great people together and making things possible that maybe wouldn't have been possible otherwise do you think it's i always think fundraising i know that's part of your job it's not just what you do but is it quite a persuasive action and that doesn't always sit comfortably with people does it how do you mitigate that is that a big part and parcel of what you do i don't try to sell things to people so i fundamentally believe that if you look across the spectrum of whether you're raising capital like equity investment for a business like in the case of Little Bridge or if you're raising funding for a philanthropic project i think what you're doing is providing people an opportunity to make something possible and in the case of a business you're providing people an opportunity to generate wealth and to be part of the growth of a great company in the case of UNICEF you're providing people an opportunity to support some great programmatic work. So I let the projects and the program speak for themselves. And I think being able to tell a story that resonates and that you feel is authentic and has integrity is really important. So I think there is persuasion involved, but if you genuinely believe in what you're building and what you're doing, then it doesn't feel out of integrity, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what would you describe as your greatest failure? So this is an interesting one because I don't actually see the world in failures. It's really hard for me to say, oh, that was a failure. I mean, the way I see failure, I guess, is the way most people would think of it is something that they wanted didn't happen or an outcome they wanted to reach that they didn't reach. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that for me, there's been many times where I was really fixated on something happening and maybe it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but actually I learned an incredible lesson or did something else that I wouldn't have done otherwise. So I'll give you a really quick example. With the Little Bridge fundraise, when we were doing our first round of investment, we had an investor that 
was a bit uncertain and that happens sometimes. And I, I don't know, this was probably summer of 2019. And that actually inspired me to take a trip to San Francisco because I said, you know what, there are a couple of other investors I'd like to meet. If this particular investor is a little uncertain, I think we ought to meet a couple more people. And in that trip, I had an opportunity to present Little Bridge to one of our now investors who is one of the Twitter co-founders. And I don't know that I would have taken that trip if that other investor hadn't been taking his time. And he ended up investing in the end and it all came together really wonderfully. But I think sometimes when things don't go our way or when things seem to be creating resistance, it's often an opportunity for redirection and to take mm-hmm. another action. And it's been brilliant to have Biz on side the last couple of years. We've reached out to him and had him as an advisor and he's, been a friend of the company in addition to being an investor in the business. So I think something that might feel like it's a failure in that moment, actually, like when you look back at it later, it's usually not. It's usually actually it worked out the way it was supposed to, and maybe it was just a redirection. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I frame failure. And I think really how quickly and creatively and enthusiastically you respond is really what makes you successful in life. So I'm going to kind of not answer your question. That <laughs> no, you, way, you did okay. perfectly. One door closes, another one opens. Absolutely. The mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? For me, kindness is really simple and it's about really internalizing that every person that you're engaging with, whether it's personal or professional, has their own life and their own perspective and their own experience and as much as possible trying to come to them with that perspective in mind. I mean, it's hard to say because it's an obvious thing, but it's really just the development of empathy. And I think that is really fundamental. If you have empathy, it's very easy to be kind. If you see someone who's suffering and it could be because they've had a tough week at work or because they've lost a family member or because they've gone through an incredibly difficult life transitions, it's very easy to be kind because you have an understanding of them as a person and have a good perspective of what they're experiencing. And collaboration for me is really about building on others' strengths and working together to actively listen, to really bring people together. I think for me, whether it's my work with Little Bridge or my work with UNICEF, it's really about being able to bring people together, bring the best out in one another and build on each other's gifts, I think is what collaboration is for me. And I think if you combine those two things, you can pretty well do anything. Is there anything that scares you? It's interesting. So I think we all experience like micro fears throughout the day. I don't have any big fears that follow me around, but I would say that for me personally, the fear of not meeting my purpose or potential as a person scares me. And I think that's why I felt a bit uneasy at times when I was so consumed with my work and consulting. I mean, I absolutely loved working at Accenture. It's an amazing, amazing company. But for me personally, I needed a bit of time to be able to do philanthropic work. And so when I carved UNICEF in, then things kind of came back into balance. So I think not living life to its fullest, not enjoying life to its fullest, and not really giving life my fullest is what scares me. So making sure that I'm achieving my full purpose as a person is probably my biggest fear is that, you know, I think if 
I were 85 and hadn't done all the things I wanted to do and made made it somehow I would probably not be happy about it. <laughs> What's left on your to-do list? Oh God, how long? How long? <laughs> I was gonna say, how long have we got? <laughs> yeah, it's long, it's right? It's long. Yeah, it's constantly <laughs> evolving as well. In the startup world, things change. I, I'm constantly kind of responding to that. I think a combination of continuing to grow and learn as a person. I'm very committed to my personal and professional growth. I think that's fundamental. And there's a lot of things that sit underneath that. I love my community and continuing to cultivate and develop my relationships. And then. I have a few personal projects that I'm excited about developing over the next, I don't know, five years or so. But yeah, it's hard to give you a precise answer. I think I'll continue to be involved in the world of startups. I think in 10, 15, 20 years, I'll probably still be building something and, you know, maybe a different stage or different flavor. But yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> but yeah, that's I think at the highest level, that's probably the best, most honest answer I can give. Thank you so much, Leila. You brought a huge smile to my face. I think it's just the inspirational nature of you generally. So thank you for taking the time to speak to me. I've loved it thank and hopefully you. everyone listening will enjoy it and get thank some you so much, inspiration from it too. So thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you again. And I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. And yeah, I hope others enjoy listening to our conversation. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.